0: I think people have to really dig deep into what is that takes them into that parasympathetic yeah. state because most of the time we think the stress is something. But in my experience, is their perception of what they're doing that is way more important than what they're doing as per itself.
1: Hi, my name is Rongan Chaschi, GP, television presenter, and author of the best selling books The Stress Solution and The Four Pillar Plan. I believe that all of us have the ability to feel better than we currently do, but getting healthy has become far too complicated. With this podcast, I aim to simplify it. I'm going to be having conversations with some of the most interesting and exciting people both within as well as outside the health space to hopefully inspire you as well as empower you with simple tips that you can put into practice immediately to transform the way that you feel. I believe that when we are healthier, we are happier because when we feel better, we live more. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of my Feel Better Live More podcast. My name is Rongan Chatterjee and I am your host. Today's guest is a good friend of mine, Alessandro Ferretti. Alessandro is a nutritionist, a published researcher, an international lecturer, and a clinician with over 15 years of experience. We actually recorded this conversation back in December 2018, so I'm delighted to finally be able to share it. On today's show, we cover a wide variety of different topics, But one of the key messages is a reminder about how unique we all are, how different stresses in life can affect different people in different ways, how the same life situation can serve as a stressor to one individual, but be entirely relaxing to another. A lot of the time, this comes down to our own individual perception of the situation. We also talk about something called HRV or heart rate variability. Now, if you have read my most recent book, The Stress Solution, you will already have a good understanding of what HRV is and why it is such a powerful measure of our health. HRV is a fantastic way to measure the total stress burden on your own body, whether it be from too much work, overload, eating the wrong foods, eating healthy foods but at the wrong time, caffeine, sleep, and so much more. Alessandro has a wealth of clinical experience, and he has meticulously tracked his own HRV and blood sugar levels, as well as those of his clients. This personalized feedback has given Alessandro a lot of expertise in this area, which he shares with us all in our conversation today. I found Alessandro's insights fascinating, and I'm sure that you will do too. Now, before we get started, I do need to give a very quick shout out to our sponsors, who are essential in order for me to be able to put out weekly podcast episodes like this one. Athletic Greens are a long-term supporter of my podcast. Now, whilst I prefer that people get all of their nutrition from food, I do recognize that for some of us, this is not always possible. Athletic Greens is one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I have come across and contains vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, and digestive enzymes. So if you are looking to take something each morning as an insurance policy to make sure that you are meeting your own nutritional needs, I can highly recommend it. For listeners of this podcast, if you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more, you will be able to access a special offer where you get a free travel pack box containing 20 servings of Athletic Greens, which is worth around £70 with your first order. You can check it out at athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. Now, on to today's conversation. So Alessandro, welcome to the Feel Better Live More
0: podcast. It's a great honor to be here with you, Rangan. As uh, being one of the podcasts, that I thought, absolutely fantastic.
1: Oh, brilliant. Well, look, thanks for the feedback. And I think people are really going to enjoy today because you are an expert in nutrition. Um, there's no question about that, but... <laughs> what we end up talking a lot about is stress and in particular something called heart rate variability. So I want to really delve deep into that today, but I wonder if you could start off by talking about stress, you know, what is stress and then move on to what is heart rate variability? Um, Sure. Um,
0: I think you are far too complimentary to me. I I love researching and I love things that I do, but um, yeah, I I, I never like to call myself an expert on anything. (laughs) I'm too young for that. But anyhow... Um it, to me it was very important part of my research to look at the effect of stress because I started to um uh, let's say being familiar with heart variability through sport, but then soon realized that the 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 effect that our environment has on our body um and affecting heart variability can be from all sorts of sources. And interestingly, my uh, also definition of stress, what I consider stress, uh, has also changed because we normally associate stress with work or familial um, problems. But in actual fact, anything that is a load that would lead the body to fail within their immediate environment can be considered a load. So in this sense, and obviously uh, I need to be careful about my personal bias because being a nutritionist, of course, is everything about the diet. Yeah. Sure. As, as, as a, a personal trainer, as we think that all, everything is linked to the type of exercise, for example. So I soon found out that uh, stress is probably one of the things that affect our physiology the most. Um, I prefer to call it life load or loads because normally stress has a negative connotations um, attached to it whereas i found out that for example i love what i'm doing when i go on tour in on roadshow lecturing uh is all stuff that i really enjoy doing and yet the impact of my physiology is very very tangible and measurable
1: yeah and, and i think this is this is super interesting for people because I think, Alessandro, what you've managed to do is, through your own research, uh, through tracking heart rate variability and other metrics on your your clients, you have really started to build up a picture of what lifestyle factors do what to our body. And what's interesting, when we've spoken in the past about this, is that it's different things for different people. So I'm guessing there are some commonalities, but there's also some maybe sort of individual differences? Absolutely. And that's the reason why
0: I virtually stopped in, uh, in telling people what they should be doing to relax. And to a certain extent, I'm very, very careful with food and diet because I 1st handled measured that, for example, a, a, a blood glucose curve following a certain meal, following exactly the same meal, eaten exactly at the same time, wife and husband had... Two completely different profile or profiles in this. Case.
1: And when you say profile, what do you mean? Are we talking about this heart rate variability?
0: Uh, I've done it with both, uh, Rongen. I've done both with um, uh, glucose following a meal and also heart rate variability. In this case, I was going, um, I used an ongoing uh, measuring uh, type of device. And it, it, what was really interesting was exactly what you just mentioned the individual. Uh, variations that given the same load stressor food um had very very different impact on uh, the individual yeah so that that was quite enlightening for me because obviously most of the time you think this is good and this is bad and i think we go slightly okay there are things that are extremes i understand that but we uh, we need to be really careful in advising things to do because people may respond very differently.
1: Yeah, I mean, Alessandro, we we spoke a lot this summer. Um, You were helping me with the heart rate variability section in my book, The Stress Solution, which is brilliant. Um, And I really appreciated your feedback from all the work that you had done with your clients. Um, I think it's worth at this point, some people will be listening to this and wondering, what is heart rate variability and why should it matter to them? Right. So heart variability is a reflection
0: of the parasympathetic and sympathetic tone of our nervous system. So our nervous system is divided in a very gross kind of description, of course, um, when we are active, when we are uh, engaged, and that would be more of the sympathetic activation. And then the more recovery-associated, relaxing, resting uh, part. So, for example, when we work all day, we are more likely to be in a sympathetic, activated state. Um, And when we sleep, we should be in a more parasympathetic state. So this will be a balance between um, us doing things and being uh, in contact with the environment and people and being active, Uh, Or exercise, for example, that is reflected uh, in heart variability too, and also the more recovery, then these two should be in a form of balance, in
1: a sort of balance. And I think a useful way that I think about it uh, to describe to the public and uh, and to my patients is I think about a stress state and a thrive state. It's not necessarily quite the same thing, but it's to really get the idea that we. We've got a sympathetic nervous system, which is there to help us, and you know we need it for various things. You know, we're engaging things, we we get anxious and agitated by something. We need to run. You know, we we our sympathetic nervous system gets activated, but we also need the the opposite, the what I call thrive state when we when we are relaxed and we're chilling out. Yep. Um, you're saying that these things need to be in balance, but I think you're also saying that heart rate variability. Is a really nice way of measuring the difference between the two and what state we're in. Yes, uh, yes, absolutely. So, when
0: the, the technically the, the heart variability is basically the variation that there is between heartbeats. So, we think that if someone has a, I don't know, 60 beats per minute heart rate, we think that every second, you know, to the count, the heart would beat. Well, a, a, a more relaxed healthy body would have a variation in that so for example one beat is at one stage and then instead of being one beat every other second perhaps is 0.9 of a second 1.1 of a second and it keeps changing
1: so so we want that variability don't we that's absolutely. a good thing and I think people absolutely. get confused by that because they they do think that the heart should beat like a metronome beat to beat um but it it's interesting isn't it that when there is that variability, I guess, it reflects that we are able to adapt to a changing environment around us. So, precisely. So, we're looking for more height rate variability. That's a good thing, generally speaking.
0: Generally speaking,
1: that's correct. Um,
0: we have instances where, in, in, in high end elite athlete, when that may not be always associated with a great thing, but we are talking at a very, com- you know, very completely different group so, so for
1: most of us correct who are not elite athletes yep. who you know are interested in how different things affect our stress response system what are the things that you found i mean i'm guessing there is you know there's obviously going to be variation between individuals but you know everyone's focus these days on you know trying to eat a better diet yeah. trying to move more you know i've said it multiple times i think we we neglect things like sleep we neglect stress in a big way and you have seen in your work you? that stress for example um or what you, what your body perceives as being stressful can have a remarkable effect on multiple things including your blood sugar level that dying in a shell is the the
0: summary of what i've been um, trying to research for the last few years. Um, that, that is absolutely correct. Going from an example of someone, then I looked, I looked at, at um, uh, the person's um, ongoing reading for heart revertibility, and see that it was pretty stressy. And then every two to three days, I actually saw a, a very nice mid-afternoon parasympathetic state. And I thought, what the heck is that? and so i challenged obviously you need to be careful because you know there in a parasympathetic state but you don't know what has led the person then and then in the past i advised the person to take relaxation techniques and maybe look at a certain relaxation books and, and it was just getting more and more wound up and i thought okay well so i'll tell you what what is it that happened in that time in the afternoon i asked the patient and then um, he said um I'm a bit hesitant to say, I said, oh, no, nothing private, obviously, it's fine. <laughs> but and I, I thought, okay, I said, I'm washing my car. And I went, right, I think you're going to have a very clean car, because what I'm going to suggest is you need to mimic or wash the car, do something that takes you back into that recovery
1: parasympathetic state. So basically, you, you were tracking his heart rate variability, Correct. And you've found that at some point in the afternoon, remarkably, his heart rate variability was quite high, which indicates that our body's in a state of relaxation. Flow. Flow, yeah, or Perhaps. what I was calling thrive state. Yeah. So this is amazing because it allows you to individualize, personalize care for that person. Say, so, hey, what were you doing at three o'clock? Oh, you're yeah. washing your car. Well, when you're washing your car, you were in a very chilled out state. Yep, absolutely. Happens to be in, 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 in my
0: personal life so for example if i if i want to meditate in a very specific um, manner or with a specific structure it's really hard to actually see me entering this parasympathetic state whereas if i practice my karate forms at very low speed in a kind of tai chi manner with no power and i'm right in the woods outside my house i can see a huge parasympathetic activation despite that's a martial art. And, and, and this could be said for all sorts of things. So I think people have to um, really dig deep into what is that takes them into that parasympathetic yeah. state. Because most of the time we think the stress is something, but precisely, as you mentioned in my experience, is their perception of what they're doing that is
1: way more important than what they're doing as itself yeah so it's very hard i guess to say this activity is stressful or this activity is unstressful because it depends on the individual so you know one man's poison is another man's medicine to yep, a, to a certain you degree so that's interesting so one of your clients washes cars and his body just loves it and he's chilled um what have you what else have you found? Are there some other surprising things that you have found when observing this with clients? Things that potentially we might think are, are conventionally stressful, yet that has not been reflected in their heart rate variability reading? Um,
0: mama, um, quite a few, I guess. I think uh, I might mention some of the, the ones that I perhaps I wasn't expecting. So we all expect that work is stressful. And yet I see sometimes people, when they are, what we say, in the flow, you can see this massive parasympathetic rebound. Um,
1: So parasympathetic rebound, you're saying high heart rate variability. High heart rate variability. Which which indicates the body's in a relaxed state.
0: Yes. One thing
1: that um,
0: I think has been really, really revealing for me is routine. If your body would know that every day... At a certain time, certain things are happening. If mentally there are cues to tell the body that that is the starting of the relaxation, it doesn't seem to matter if he's, cal- you know, candle with- in a hot bath or watching your favorite program or playing a board uh, game it doesn't seem to matter. The body will seem to enter. So basically what I'm trying to say is the people that had more scattered type of lifestyle are the one with the lowest heart rate
1: variability. And which indicates more stress on the body. That is correct. Yeah, which, which really... I think we all... Well, certainly I know that I respond better when I'm in a routine. Yeah. Um, when, when I go to bed at the same time and wake yep. up at the same time, yep. I just... I'm I'm like a different person. I, I find it easier to eat better. I've got more energy. I, I can feel that I'm less stressed. Um, and you, the, the longer you stay in that routine, the more locked in you get. You sleep deeply. You wake up at roughly the same time without an alarm, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's incredibly challenging, of course, for people with shift work to do that. So they're constantly changing, some of them from day shifts to night shifts. Um, have you got any clients who've done shift work that you've seen any of this data on? Yeah, it's... Um, what happens? So in some of your clients who are shift workers, what happens? Do you see this really low heart rate variability a lot, which reflects a very stressed out body?
0: That is in a nutshell what I tend to see. Um, now, an interesting point, the people they seem to have... So, if we take the sum of all the things that impact on our health, people, generally speaking, have a little give on certain things. So, instead of having to follow an absolutely perfect diet, as long as they reach a certain degree of health, same thing with exercise, same thing with stress or life flow, same thing with uh, anything else. So, they, as long as there is a certain uh, baseline, then they are okay, People that the the, the 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 few people I have seen but taking experience from collings then that they work on shifts that leeway is very very reduced. They have to have a great diet, they have to have good diligence in every other areas in order to account for
1: the shift yeah. work. I mean, Al-S2, I think that's a really important point. So um you know, I talk about this four pillar framework a lot, because yeah. I think, you know, when we look at food, movement, sleep and relaxation, and if we maybe not strive for perfection in one area, but we're doing enough in each area. So, you know, this is the opposite, really, of someone having the perfect diet. And I have got patients who frankly, do have what appears to be quite a perfect or optimal diet. Yep. Yet at the same time, they're only sleeping five and a half hours sleep a night. And they're working hard, really, really hard into the evenings and they're really stressed out. And I say, hey, you know what? You might be better off just chilling out a little bit on your diet, but going to bed one hour earlier and having a bit of a wind down in the evening. And, and it, it's interesting. So what you're saying is with shift workers, if, you know, because many people even listening to this podcast will work shifts and think, well, I have to do that. I know I've got lots of nurses who listen to this podcast. Yeah. Like, well, I have to go on night shifts. So I think the empowering thing here from what I'm hearing is that, okay, that is a stressor on your body. That's yeah. an insult. So that means you've got to sort of make sure the other areas of your life are optimized as much as possible. So you can almost mitigate it as much as you can. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, 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 absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Of course, anything else yeah. that you can do to support your body, I think is, it, is brilliant. Um, the problems start to happen when you don't do that or you can't do that. And on top of that, you have the shift work impact on yeah. your physiology. And the, what I find a little bit um, upsetting is these are the very people they offer are looking after other people in the medical profession or with high responsibility jobs. Security, uh, police. Security, absolutely. absolutely, workers. Absolutely. And unfortunately, I only know... Really, a handful of people that can maintain health, that have maintained health, but they're so diligent in their lifestyle, they can't afford to have a poor lifestyle. They can't afford to not go to the gym or not have physical activity. Doesn't matter just the gym. They have to be as diligent as they
1: possibly can because sleep and chronobiology is already out. Yeah, because you're right. These are the people in society who you know, a lot of them look after us and yeah. keep us safe and, yep. you know, and manning us when someone has a heart attack at two in the morning, you know, there are people there to help them. And it would be nice if we could, could find a way to support them better.
0: I've interviewed a um, couple of sleep experts, a chronobiologist, and really, really enjoy that. And it seems to me that there are slightly different theories um, as far as I understand it, and I'm not a chronobiologist or a sleep expert, um, if someone can get into a shift night routine, that seems to uh, be not as detrimental as constantly changing the shift time. Yeah.
1: Let's move on to type 2 diabetes because... Type 2 diabetes is commonly called a blood sugar problem and clearly you know the way we diagnose type 2 diabetes is when your blood sugar can no longer be maintained in a physiological range it starts to go higher and once you it reaches a certain point we diagnose you with type 2 diabetes and of course I know you're a nutritionist I know yep. that much of the debate around type 2 diabetes focuses on sugar and carbs and of course whilst Sugar and, in particular, refined and processed carbs are a real problem for many people with type two diabetes. I'm very passionate that it is not a dietary problem; it's an environmental problem. Diet being one component. And you've done some interesting research, haven't you, on stress and how that impacts blood sugar?
0: Yeah, um I I decided to do basically a preliminary run for a proper trial, um, and this has been happening for a while now in the field of nutrition. They, they, there are trends, are there? So there was the Mediterranean diet, there was the ketogenic diet, the low-carb diet, the low-fat diet. So we, we, we have seen them all. And one of the things that I love doing is trying to research these. not necessarily bias in advising them, but is to actually research. So I started to see that people with a tendency to type 2 diabetes on a low-carb diet seems to do very well. And is still probably now one of the things that I might consider when someone with type 2 diabetes. Um, However, I seem to have obtained very, very similar results to not just reducing the carbohydrate and be on a low-carb, high-fat diet with good level-matched level of protein, But also when people started to restrict the eating window, for example, so when they eat, when they eat, uh, and also how long they eat for in the space of a day. So how many roughly hours that 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 they are eating for during the day. So when from the first meal to the last meal. So the first time they introduce food to the to the last time, I also noticed that people on a slight restricted. uh, energetic intake also seem to have a very similar benefit. So we need to start to ask a few questions here because obviously there is the same result with three slightly different approaches. And many times you see people on a low carbohydrate diet. They also what they do they do other things that would actually help their health. So they start into eating in they're starting eating uh, in a in a narrower window of time. They also take other things. So there could be some confounders attached to that. So I decided to take health individuals and see what impact, because it's much harder to see big changes in if you're individuals healthy. if you're already healthy. And strangely enough, glucose was very, very poorly correlated with the amount of carbs intake, not only the day before, but for the four to six weeks period that I have tested.
1: These were okay, thirty-seven. So this is, this is, I mean, this is super interesting. You're saying then blood glucose, which is another way we describe blood sugar, you're saying that in the the data that you have seen and what you have been tracking, and you meticulously track. I've got to say, you meticulously track your own data on yourself. You're <laughs> always tracking your heart rate variability yeah. and matching what you do in your life and how that reflects things, and you're altering it, which is why you look the picture of health in front of me <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> yeah, so you 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 take this very seriously, both as a guinea pig yourself, um, but but also with with some of your clients, and that's really fascinating that. You're saying that the blood sugar level is not necessarily correlating with how many carbs they've been eating. In health individual, that, it,
0: that was my findings out of 37 individuals monitored for four to six weeks. Some people would have four, some other people. We started from 52, but unfortunately, it, mm, I had to eliminate certain data because it was just not precise enough. Um, So they had blood glucose in one day or HIV in the other day, and I couldn't mind
1: that. Yeah. And that's very, it's important. You know, this is a small data set relative to a big trial, but it's something you meticulously do. You take very seriously. You want to be able to find out more so you can help your clients get better. So what are those factors then? If it's not carbs that's correlated with blood sugar in healthy individuals, what is it?
0: So to firstly answer your question on type 2 diabetes, I think uh, Excess of carbs do play a role, and is one of the things as mentioned that I would definitely would consider, but not then to rebound on other substrates. So it's not that they keep the carbs very low and then they you know splash out on fats and they um, you know have a very very poor diet. Is not the only factor. So these are things that definitely we need to consider. Physical activity. In type two diabetic is still the factor that has impacted the most, alongside high life load. People may call that stress um,
1: and sleep. It wasn't so much dietary based. I mean, this is. I mean, what you're saying is really, I think, really important because, just to be clear, you know, from what you're saying, and I've said this before, you know, I think that what is called a low carb diet does have extreme clinical utility for some patients. Correct. Um, I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the term low carb, um, because I think we're calling one macronutrient where, you know, we're, you know, uh, a carb, one carb can have a very different impact on the body than another carb, Correct. you know, a, um, you know, a highly processed you know cracker can have yeah. a very different impact from a sweet potato let's say absolutely and so but, but what, the sort of thing most people consider when they, they think about a low carb diet is a diet low in i hope refined and processed carbohydrates and some people go quite aggressive on all carbohydrates that's for sure there's a big variation out there yeah but i do think this is really interesting that it's not just that that is correlated with your blood sugar sleep is playing a big role yeah uh physical activity is playing a big role and stress yeah is playing a big role and you've seen that i think yourself haven't you when you're very stressed that your blood sugar goes up so
0: if i'm if i'm doing like a lecture tour or what we call it roadshow whatever um after the third day my hiv drops fine
1: um so just to just to make sure we're clear on that your HRV is getting lower which means Correct. there is more stress on the body.
0: The body is in more time sympathetically activated. Yeah. Um, both I measure ongoing measurements but also snapshot in the morning. In a snapshot in the morning you take 60 seconds to 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 measure and you can see you normally you can see an increase in the first day which is what we call rebound uh but then following that if you keep traveling lecturing and etc you can see you can start to see a a, a steady drop to a point that i was speaking to jules the other day and so how do professors in at university that they do this all day seven days a week how how do they manage they need to be pretty fit so I think there are variations on because obviously I do this only at times. I don't do this all day long in an established environment where I go in, you know. Yeah. do you're something. tracking it just from time to time to see what's going on. Exactly, and that that I think is 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 quite is very relevant in 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 everyday life because uh, people t- tend to single out things. So. It's the diet, or it's the stress, it's that, which can be, but the combination of many factors is
1: way more detrimental than the single yeah. one. And, and this really resonates with, with my approach, Alexander, as you well know. This is why I'm always trying to expand the conversation beyond diet or beyond physical activity. It's a combination of factors that results in your health. You may be excelling in one area, but you may be neglecting three other areas. And you just got to, we've got to start not looking for perfection, but looking for balance across all these areas, which is a big thing that I stand for. I I think, I think you have said to me before, I'm pretty sure that actually when you're tracking your own data, you find that, um, is it putting your child to bed is when you are in one of the most stressed states of the day.
0: Absolutely. It was, it was me and I was measuring. <laughs> oh, because I know some parents, listen is this and this is incredible. I think lots of them will yes.
1: actually think, hold on a minute.
0: I want to know more. What is going on there? So um, this was a, 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 some time ago and I was, I was, I was, um, so I have this report um, and I was taking ongoing measurements. So it's not only that I can see the baseline, but I can also see what has affected Directly at that moment in time, my heart availability. So it could be a, an unpleasant call, or it could be something that has happened, or I don't know what have you. And I could see that it was actually pretty great. And I thought, what is that? And I have noticed that for four, five days in a row, I could see this massive spike. And at least this little program actually said to me, "This were your first. Um, this is these were the highest, most stressful."
1: Um 15 minutes of your day. So the most stressful 15 minutes of your day has been reflected with a low HRV reading. That is correct. And you were thinking, well, what, what's going on
0: there? Yep. And you have the possibility to put a diary online, and I thought, family time. I put family time. So and then I started to see the exact time. And it was my son's bedtime. He is renownedly so, one of the probably latest chronotype children I have ever come across. And it doesn't matter what you do. He just does it. He does all of them. He stalls. He doesn't want to say that he's scared at the time, not now. Um, so I, I, I'm hoping that, you know, psychologists and counselors will not sue me for this for saying this. I went up to him and I said, dude, see this? See this graph. Yeah. You are the biggest stressor in my life. <laughs> I said that in a jokey manner. Sure. And et Milo, we can't, we can't have these arguments day in, day out for exactly the same thing. So we need to find a way. And there was um, some um, unfortunate bartering. I detest doing that with 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 children. Um, but we have came to and suddenly that was reflected straight away. It's not just the fact that it's the most stressful 15 minute Consider and that in this most stressful 15 minute you should be recovering. But it's gonna take you a while to wind down from that. This is if you see that as a stressor. If the parents say, well, okay, whatever then obviously it's a very different approach. Yeah,
1: you're right. So that your reflections, you, you know, what you put onto that situation really determines whether your body perceives it as stressful. If you are really trying to get them onto bed on time because you know it's good for them and they need the routine, yep. they, might, well, they might be chilling out. They may not be, but we might be feeling stressed. I mean, I certainly know that feeling. Um, I, You know, I think one of the things that this is saying to me is that there's, there's huge benefits in understanding your body better, understanding what things in your life start to have an impact on your stress levels and it will be different, from different for different people. So is this the sort of thing that people can do themselves? Absolutely,
0: absolutely. So they can start with something really, really, really cheap and cheerful with like an app that measures heart variability. They don't even need for certain apps to actually buy any uh, heart rate straps, so or they can just use the camera of a smartphone for example
1: um and that's what i use yeah yes absolutely um i do it once a day in the morning yeah and at the same time every day and it you know it's it also you start to build up a picture you go you know i'm not individualizing everything in a day but i see oh you know whenever i've been traveling for example yep i see my heart rate variability the next morning is really low Yeah. Um, yeah absolutely you know, and but what are the other what, I guess what are the factors that you have seen? Are there some common things that people can hear which they might be they might be expecting they might not be expecting really have an impact on in, in a in, for want of a better term, stress on the body. So,
0: for example, you mentioned earlier the the time of eating, uh, that was a big one for me because I thought, as long as you can digest a bit before you retire, it should be okay. We did not cover chronobiology as far as eating is concerned at college. I think I don't know, even know if there were any studies about it, and there are now starting to emerge in, in humans, I think. Um, but what was, uh, um, what was interesting is that up to – so I, I had to transform the data into a block of two hours, okay? So I had to make a categorical data. And what, what, what was interesting, so it was between 2 and 4, 4 and 6, 6 and 8, 8 and 10 p.m. And heart rate variability didn't seem to be affected until after 8 o'clock. So when people ate after eight o'clock, do consider that there is a two hours chunk. So I'm not saying it's eight or one has the same effect as, as 9.59 yeah. or, or, or um, oh, 9.59. Sure. So it could go worse or better. Or oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. But I could, actually, I could actually start to see a trend. And the heart availability doesn't seem to be affected. Blood glucose does. The later we eat, or this 37 uh, people, cohort uh, ate, the higher is the fasting glucose the following day, especially if that is prolonged. So they do that continuously. So
1: even if they're eating a healthy diet... Correct. A diet that might be low and refined in refined and processed carbohydrates that one might think is optimal for their blood sugar, you're saying that by eating late... the body still mounts a blood sugar response to that.
0: That is correct. Um, In fact, in some people, it has manifested as what is normally referred as dawn phenomena. So basically, they go to bed with a certain blood glucose and they wake up, which is much, much higher blood glucose. And um, often, even on a healthy diet, especially for the breakfast skippers, then unfortunately, we then have observed a rebound in the evening because they've been skipping breakfast, perhaps having stimulants during the morning to try to get some, you know, to try to get going. Um, they like have coffee? Yeah, absolutely. But, but you'd be surprised, green tea and yerba mate, matcha, anything. whatever you, anything. Um, and then what was to me really, really interesting is that then the choices in the evening were... Not only different, but the quantity of the food that we're ingesting, it was it was really,
1: really heavy load on the digestive system. You know, I think this is really echoing what a lot of the time-restricted eating research is, is suggesting, that actually when we eat is arguably or potentially as important as what you eat. And that's its really something that I don't think the message has got out there yet. I think people think as long as I'm having a healthy meal... Yeah. It doesn't matter. And you know, that's a brilliant
0: tell- point. That's an absolutely brilliant point because really? most nutritionists wouldn't. No, I'm so sorry. I rephrased that. Um, many times I hear practitioners, they don't seem to take in consideration
1: the timing of it. Yeah, timing is huge. And, you know, I was telling you two nights ago, I was in London. I, I was, you know, busy all day. And there was an event on Gut Health that I was lecturing at in the evening. And I remember we ate after the event. Now I normally eat pretty early. I try and eat with my children when I can, yeah. and then stop. You know, yeah. it's not always possible when you're back late or you're on the roads. But everyone at the event ate after the conference, uh, after after the events in the evening, right? And we probably had dinner at ten p.m. Whoa! Which is a it's out of my normal routine. And we we sort of intuitively know this. You know, I didn't sleep well at all. Yeah, I didn't have to get up early, but I just couldn't sleep very well all night. I was tossing and turning. And then all day, obviously I was tired. I was craving sweet foods all day, you know, and I don't really eat that much sweet food. I'm, you know, I've got my diet pretty, pretty dialed in most of the time, but you just see how one thing can have such a knock-on effect. And for people listening, I'd really encourage you to think about what time you have your evening meal. I think it's, I think it's a really simple way to impact multiple premises in your health by, by bringing it forward. Do you think, in your experience, are you saying that an earlier dinner time is better? Absolutely. Without no shadow of a doubt,
0: we leave out very specific um, demographics, for example, athletic performance and et cetera, et cetera. But generally speaking, uh, the, the, within reason, um, it would be wise to have an earlier
1: Type of dinner. So you mentioned that some people may take stimulants in the morning, whether it's, you know, green tea, coffee, you know, all kinds of things that we take to get us going because we are living such, you know, busy, stressed out lifestyles that many of us need help to get going in the morning. Yeah, a lot of people drink a lot of caffeine. And I'm just wondering, have you seen anything in HRV, in the, the readings that you've done that correlates to caffeine?
0: Oh, you you mentioned the caffeine. <laughs> it's been one of the things that's has interested me so much. So um, everything started because I did an experiment with my HIV, I mean, my blood glucose. So I measured the typical um, hotel sachets that you find, uh, which I clearly don't drink, um, but I thought, I'll give a test because we were taught not to have caffeine because caffeine is excitatory, is bad for us, is dehydrating and et cetera, et cetera. So I started to dig a little bit uh, more in the science. Um, now, caffeine seems to be affected by many things. We are affected by caffeine due to many things. One of them is how we clear the caffeine, how sensitive we are to the caffeine. So uh, straight away, we have an individual reaction to the caffeine. However, I took myself and I thought, right, okay, let's see how I react with that. And another day I took a very high quality caffeine, um, coffee drink. I'm talking coffee, not necessarily caffeine alone. Okay. So my glucose within less than... 10, 12 minutes shot above 6.2 millimolar, which is pretty high. For you? For me, with a freeze-dried hotel-typical
1: um, coffee sachet. Did that coffee sachet have sugar in? Did it have... No, no, no,
0: no, 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 no. just black. I okay, so want...
1: just, a, 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 just black. an instant sort of black coffee. Yeah that you'd find in any hotel room in um, any
0: hotel room usual that spikes
1: your blood sugar
0: that had created that massive spike i do not know if i cannot quantify the caffeine content of that i cannot quantify so many things but what i took as a as a as a um as a guideline is one coffee so we wanted to see the effect of different one coffees if that makes okay, so sense so you had one of those and then have you did you compare that with a high quality coffee as well then i did the same a few days later obviously you don't want to add too much caffeine in the same yeah. go um and i tested with my normal coffee which is high quality i go to the roastery personally i grind myself yada 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 so i did that and my glucose went from 4.5 four point six, so a minimal rise. Well, the change is below the error of the instrument I was using, so, so, so it could have been the same, negligible. Could it could have been, been the same, it could, could have, have been down. lower. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I started to study a little bit more on that, adding the heart variability, and if the so the, what I'm trying to say here is that the quality of the coffee can have can have a substantial impact on top of the amount of caffeine taken so there are two things here people may react to coffee or people may react to caffeine people may react to both and people may react to neither so when people have a coffee to me opens like 10 questions okay what type of coffee what how was it made is it percolated or just a really simple quick espresso normally showing less quantity of caffeine my personal limit is 120 milligrams of caffeine before 2
1: p.m so you have been that precise you have Quantified for you if you do that and you don't yeah. go above that correct and you stick to that amount of good quality coffee before 2 pm yeah what there is what minimal effect on the rest of your physiology the the, the effect is not statistically significant at
0: all wow. I cannot see any changes in hiv blood glucose following day the day following that so over a period this is wow. ongoing data was it's tracking.
1: so impressive that you actually go through this that meticulously because then you you really are able to personalize your lifestyle for your physiology it's just incredible because you literally know <laughs> how things affect you so can i ask you what happens if you do go above 120 milligrams that depends what is coming after that. So if
0: I have more caffeine and then later on I'm training on doing very physical work, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to have a very noticeable in effect, but I still see a slight variation. In what? In generally, for example, sleep onset is a big one.
1: Uh, so it's harder
0: to fall asleep? Yeah, or just later, perhaps, I, I'm just not tired. Normally, am a bit more st-
1: wired and you don't want to fall asleep. Yeah, yeah
0: or, or even just feeling awake, and that is the problem. Because if you're feeling wired, then you think, right, I'm wired, this is not normal, I need to do something about it. But if you feel just awake and you feel good, then you're less likely to do something about it because you
1: feel good Yeah, about it. And you might think then also that you're a night owl. And this is something that I, um, I did write about in this resolution, actually, the, the myth of the night owl. Now, night owls do exist, right? From what I can tell from looking at the research, there are some genetic um, differences. But in my experience, a lot of people put themselves down as being night owls when it's actually their lifestyle that is driving them to be a night owl and when they alter their lifestyle suddenly they can go to bed early they can wake up early and i'm talking about coffee and caffeine i'm talking about light exposure in the evening all these things i'm looking at your smartphone late into the evening which it's uh, i mean you're very impressive actually i've noticed if i ever text you past 7 p.m i'd say you rarely respond i don't think you've ever responded until the morning correct i think that's quite interesting for people tell me what what goes on there so the to me the, the the brain will have more
0: power on my physiology um, call it whatever you want class a type personality or it doesn't matter what you call it but if i if i if my brain gets stimulated we call it hyperarousal you then are able to offshift the natural calming, cooling, recovering, relaxing time that can potentially have an effect on your sleep, not necessarily just the length, but also the quality or just even simply the onset. I always thought I was a late night owl. Did you? I'm not. I just constantly crave for that time by myself alone being exposed to light in the evening being exposed to things i used to be more creative in the evening so i kind of prolonged that and really really struggled to then fall asleep for hours and hours and hours and then that had to be compensated for the late start of the day and what what was interesting is that um what it seems to me based on my research it seems that our modern society is exacerbating the chronotype thing so if you are a night owl you're also more likely to do more stuff in the evening now that is not gonna help the chronotype anyhow it's not gonna help anyone so could it be that our modern lifestyle our modern society training late eating late getting um, engaged cognitively late is exacerbating the difference between the chronotype and we we i personally think that that plays a major part if you go to a place i'm i'm reluctant to say holiday because then people on holiday do other stuff to be like chronotype but if you go into a holiday that you can just live by the <coughs> natural rhythm i i have been very surprised on how many patients and colleagues have mentioned, well, I was actually waking up with the sunlight yeah. and then going to bed a lot earlier, despite I was on holiday, especially in camping holiday. In fact, one of the studies specific was measuring dim light melatonin onset in people that were sleep I'm not sure if it was sleep deprived or they were socially jet lagged. Um, but they went out camping in, uh, I think it was around Denver, Colorado. And they just naturally picked up a, a very natural rhythm. And the difference between the chronotype
1: was very, very small. If I, if I recall correctly. Hey, this is exactly what Professor Sachin Panda said to me yep. when I was... I love his work. His work's brilliant. He's been on the podcast before. Two of the most popular episodes I've had, actually, were, were with uh, Professor Panda. And I was lecturing with him last year in Iceland. And we went out for dinner in the evening and asked him that question i said hey look what happens you know this night owl thing really confuses me because a lot of my patients who say they're night owls actually once we start altering their lifestyle getting them to wind down in the evening switching off their technology before you know it then they're no longer night owls um again me i used to be up very late creative time everyone's asleep put a light on i've got quiet time but you know what i flipped completely where now i and to be fair i've always been an early wiser but i now fall asleep often at half nine my my rhythm now is about nine thirty to five thirty, um and it, you know i feel great so i often get that quiet time first thing in the morning it wasn't the fact that it was night time it was just i was craving quiet time yep. when the rest of the world around me was asleep and i can have that in the morning just as well as i can have in the evening yeah um so i do think a lot of people sort of tell themselves at their night hours and they might be of course but even if you are a night owl, you could be exacerbating that correct with with our behaviors um hey Alexander, look i i there's so much more i want to ask you and i know you're writing a book at the moment on all of this so maybe once that's complete i can get you back on but absolutely it would be my utter pleasure It's what, what i'd love to finish on for people who have been fascinated by this first of all we were mentioning how you can track this yourself. I have got an app that you recommended to me, actually, that yeah. I just do once a day to give me an idea of what my base level of stress is per day. And it is really, I find it really, really useful. Can you just tell tell, tell people what those apps are in case they want to download them? Sure, sure, absolutely. I I, I
0: tend to use mainly two apps. Uh, one is more perhaps um, sport-related that you can use with a smartphone Uh, camera Uh, there is uh, hrv4 training where four is the number four so hrv4 the number training or one word uh, both on iTunes and and um, google play and the other one is elite hrv there are other apps it's just that happens to be that many many years ago i started to work with these and i'm just more familiar uh, so there are other apps out there that you don't have sure. necessarily to use these um
1: I, I will link to all these guys in the show notes page of this podcast which will be dr forward slash alessandro so if you go to that at the end of the podcast or now you'll see all the links to everything we've talked about uh, in case you do want to download some of those apps um but finally you know i like to finish off You know, the whole point of this podcast really is to inspire people to be the architects of their own health, you know, to empower them with tips that they can apply immediately. So you have done a lot of complex testing on yourself, on your clients. Not everyone who's listening to this is going to A, know how to do it, be motivated to do it. So are there sort of, I don't know, are there four kind of big take-home tips for people that you can think of based upon your data, based upon your work, based on your clinical experience that you can give them, and potentially ones that they're not already thinking about.
0: Wow, uh, what a question. Um, yeah, I the first one that I keep always in my head, go back to the basics, check the basics, check if you have addressed truly the basics rather than go into a uh, very advanced type of classes and i don't know whatever crossfit or something weird just move get get some physical activity whatever that may be um, eat cleanly in what makes you feel good um, these are all really simple things follow try really to follow as much as you possibly can just natural cycles um this is how body has evolved and seemingly now research is coming out to see that is how actually feels the best um the two people i quote the most in 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 the book i'm writing are my grandparents despite the 250 papers that i'm arguing quoting referencing and so on so that's the first thing second thing i would say listen to your body You know more about yourself than anyone on the planet. Allow for recovery. You push your body is one of the most metabolically intelligent things we are ever going to have to our uh, disposal. And just make sure that if you're pushing through, you have to allow for recovery. That's the reason why some of the best tools for athletic performance now are focusing on sleep, on chronobiology, or things that are in it,
1: that in build in and, and performance, performance enhancing performance enhancing if you do that right absolutely you said something really interesting because we're what time is it it's about i don't know maybe 6 30 p.m in the evening we're recording yeah. this in december at the moment yeah. and you have got to drive home tonight yeah. um which is probably going to be two or three hours i imagine in the car correct so you know that this is a big stress on your body and so you are taking compensatory action tomorrow i believe correct
0: I cancel pretty much everything. So if I'm gonna feel good, I may train. Um, I'm, I'm teaching class and on on a karate class and on Sunday, and and I have to be on
1: form because that's demanding. Clearly, um, so you're gonna to rest tomorrow. You're gonna to say, "Hey, look, it's been a stressful week. See how I feel." Absolutely, yeah. And which is a great lesson for people. Sometimes the best thing to do is say, "Hey, you know what? I'm gonna do nothing today, and I'm just yep. gonna chill out, relax, read a book."
0: Yeah, um, the doing nothing thing—it um, will stress me out.
1: So yeah.
0: I would do something that you know is soothing for you. If it's I don't know, watching your favorite series, or as long as it's truly relaxing to you. To I keep reminding people, the the kind of gentleman that was washing the car and being parasympathetic I don't know, wash
1: the car of the whole village, I, what have you. It doesn't matter. But that's his thing. So we that's need his to, thing. We, we need to find our thing beautiful and whatever that is you're going to do your thing tomorrow to relax and i think we all kind of know what our thing is or many of us do anyway i would just don't feel we've got time to engage in it correct Um, so that's a really nice message for people that they must prioritize recovery
0: fine fine what you know what brings recovery um please consider social interaction so of course i'm a nutritionist i'm trying not to be biased and mention eat a clean diet of course but um social well-being is dramatically important uh what do you mean by that exactly just make sure that you 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 spend time with people you love um if you don't have in any find
1: one um yeah yeah, on on that I, i mean it's really important to say that if you don't feel you have people close to you um whether it's friends or family you know a simple way of trying to um build up those connections it might be to join a local sports club or a local hobby something, absolutely something you're interested in because you're likely to find similar people to you at that event it might be hard at first you might feel nervous and shy yeah is exactly as you say so join a sport club with people there are
0: like you or similar to you or yeah. very different from you. It doesn't really but matter. You share a common
1: interest. You mm-hmm. share a
0: common interest. And, yeah. and, and sometimes you should be feeling like you can pick up a conversation exactly where you left it, even after two, yeah. three, four, five weeks you haven't spoken to someone
1: i mean these are lovely tips and particularly i think coming from a, a nutritionist you know it's it's it is remarkable that the four tips that you gave were actually not really related to nutrition yeah i mean there's just great tips for people uh that you know yes you can do all the data that you've done uh but you can also try and listen to your body a bit more and see you know you'll probably get some of the way there just by doing that also Joe, thank you for your time today appreciate you coming up to see me and actually uh us able to have this podcast that we have been trying to have for a few months now i think that's really interesting for people and i hope to have you back on soon um
0: rangan is in my absolute pleasure um yours this year is probably the book i recommended the most oh. because people are missing the basics and they embark on all sorts of fads, things, and and things that are way too extreme. So they go the mile deep, meter wide kind of approach. Whereas what you are doing for this nation and what you're doing in general, uh, have people listening to you from Australia, for example. Um, and, and what you're doing is, I think, consolidating and crystallizing the message to listen to the basics. And that is absolutely awesome. So. You can have me anytime you you, you want. It's been definitely a pleasure for me. Alessandro, thank you and we'll see you soon. You're welcome. Thank you.
1: That concludes this week's episode of the Feel Better Live More podcast. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation and that you feel inspired to take on board some of Alessandro's top tips there at the end. I think for me, one of the standout tips is about allowing yourself recovery. This is such a simple concept, yet one that we often don't think about enough in our day-to-day lives. That if we have exerted ourselves, we need to allow some time to recover. I'm sure that some of you will feel like tracking your own HRV after hearing our conversation. And I hope you find the apps that we mentioned in the conversation useful. You can see links to all of those apps in the show notes page for this episode, which is drchatterjee.com forward slash Alessandro. As well as those links, I have put a few online articles there that I think you will find interesting so that you can continue your learning experience now that the podcast is over. There's also a link there to Alessandro's own website and all of my books. Now, for those of you who are interested in learning more about HRV, I summarize the key take home points in a very accessible way in my most recent book, The Stress Solution. I walk you through what HRV is, why it is relevant, and then most importantly, give plenty of tips on how you can improve your own HRV score, which basically helps you to minimise the impact of stress on your own body, which in turn will allow you to thrive. I've also outlined some of my top tips for shift workers in the book, to really try and help minimise the impact that shift work has on one's health. If this is something that interests you, you can pick up a copy of the Stress Solution in all the usual places, either as a paperback, an ebook, or as an audiobook, which I am narrating. As always, please do let Alessandro and I what you thought of today's show on social media. And if you do enjoy my weekly podcasts, one of the best ways that you can support them is by leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. You can also help me spread the word by taking a screenshot right now and sharing with your friends and family on your social media channels. Or you can simply tell your friends about the show. I really do very much appreciate your support. Just a quick reminder, if you do enjoy the podcast and can spare 10 seconds, please do consider voting for my podcast in the British Podcast Awards. You can do this by going to britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote and typing in feel better, live more. It literally takes under 10 seconds to do. So if you can spare the time, I genuinely do appreciate it. A big thank you to Richard Hughes for editing the podcast and to Ali Ferguson and Liam Saunas for the theme tune. That is it for today. I hope you have a fabulous week. Make sure that you have pressed subscribe and I'll be back in one week's time with my latest episode. Remember, you are the architects of your own health making lifestyle change is always worth it because when you feel better you live more i'll see you next time